Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. There you'll see resources to help kids learn more about Jesus, discussion guides for this talk, as well as ways our Brave Compassion team is responding to needs in this season. To catch the full Brave release, including worship and other updates, check out this talk on YouTube. Now, thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus. Hey, everybody. Today, we're concluding our series called The Wealthy Life. And this talk has kind of a twist. So far, we've talked about how generous God is uh, in His grace towards us. We've talked about how important it is to be grateful and to trust God with what we have and to be generous. But now we're going to look at something that I personally have found to be one of the most exciting aspects of following Jesus, and that is the power of God at work in our lives. The title of this talk is Big God, Big Life. You cannot live a wealthy life without the power of God. And to illustrate this, we're going to look at a story where Jesus does something that only Jesus could do. It's known as the miracle feeding of the 5,000, a story so famous that it's the only story that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The question is, why did Jesus do this? Why has this story been recorded four different times in four different Gospels in the Bible? Think about that. Of all the stories in the Bible, why did this one get repeated four times? What was it that Jesus wanted his disciples to know? And what is it that God wants us to know? In Luke 9, at the very beginning of the chapter, the disciples are sent out with no resources to minister. And when they return, Jesus takes them away for a debrief. But massive crowds end up following them. And so we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 9, verse 12. It says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. In John's gospel, he adds this. In John 6, verse 6, he asked this only to test them for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus wanted to teach them something, but what is it? In Luke 9, verse 13, we pick up, it says, He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, which would have been an enormous bill. But it's more than you think, because where you have 5,000 men, you also have women and children. This crowd was estimated over 20,000 people. And then John adds, he says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? This little boy has five barley loaves and two small fish, but how far can this really go? Isn't that the tension that we've all felt? You know, we see a need, our heart goes out, uh, somebody ought to do something about this, and we feel this desire that tugs in our hearts, and God says, you can meet that need. Then what happens? Well, oftentimes our human reasoning kicks in, and we start measuring our resources. Do I have enough? 
do I have enough time to do this? Do I have enough space? Uh, what will this cost? I, I, don't, I don't think I have enough to do this. The disciples asked the very same thing. How far will what we have go among so many? Nobody wants to give what little you have to a sinking ship or give what you have to something that's never going to be enough. Picking up in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 14, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. After feeding thousands and thousands of people, God doesn't just barely provide, He abundantly provides. What was Jesus trying to teach them in performing this miracle? You know, I've taught this passage many, many times, and I can draw out many observations, but what is prominent is this. Jesus is defying our human logic in performing this miracle. He wanted His disciples, the crowds, and you and I to know that no matter what you're up against, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger than natural forces, storms, and waves. Jesus can turn water into wine. Jesus is bigger than disease. Jesus heals sick people. Jesus is bigger than evil forces. Jesus has authority over demons. Jesus has demonstrated to them over and over again that he is bigger than any challenge that faces them. And if, if that is true, when I'm walking with Jesus, when I'm responding to a need that's bigger than me, Jesus will take my little and he'll turn it into a lot. Why did Jesus want them to experience this? Why does Jesus want you to know this? Because Jesus knew he'd be going to the cross. He knew he would be resurrected and would ascend. He was going to leave his disciples and all future followers throughout history the work of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And that means we will face immense challenges that are just too big for us, needs that are too great for us, needs that we don't have enough resources to meet. What is your biggest challenge right now? What weighs on, on your heart the most? Jesus is bigger than all of your worries. Jesus is bigger than all your addictions. Jesus is bigger than your anxieties. Jesus is bigger than any danger you fear or any challenge that you face. Jesus is bigger. And if we really internalize this, then while I'm doing His will, He's going to take my little and He's going to turn it into a lot. Even when I feel I have so very little to offer, if I believe that Jesus is bigger, then I can move forward with confidence and faith in the new challenges of this new year. On the other hand, if I do not believe I have enough, that I cannot do this, that I don't have the time, I don't have the qualifications, I don't have the space, I don't have what it takes, do you know what is going to happen? You're going to bench yourself. You're going to take yourself out of being used by God and you're going to go sit down and you're going to let opportunity after opportunity after opportunity go right past you. You'll say, oh, I see that opportunity. I see that need. That's an opportunity. It, it's real. It, ah, it's just not for me because I don't have enough. 
because I don't qualify, because I don't have the time, because I don't have the energy, and God will find someone else. This is such a crucial teaching that can shape and determine the outcome of your life story. If you receive and internalize what we're about to learn, we're going to talk about discovering three truths about God, and then each truth will be followed by a question. The first truth is this. God is not confined by our logic. John gives us some more detail in chapter 6, verse 5. He says, Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Jesus asks, where? Where are we going to find the resources to meet this need? And Philip could have responded with, where? Come on, don't be so humble, Jesus. I was with you when we ran out of wine at that wedding and you turned water into wine and it just kept multiplying and multiplying and everybody had more than enough to drink. You got this, Jesus. Instead, Philip answers by asking the logical question, the one that gets asked more than any other question perhaps in our lives. How? How are we going to do this? How are we going to survive this? How are we going to meet this need? They have the guy who turns water into wine right next to them, and they're looking for the nearest Chipotle. So often, when you and I have a problem or a need, we get stuck worrying about the why. You know, how will this happen? How, how will we get through this? And what we're doing is, is we're, we're forgetting who we're with. We're forgetting who is bigger than all of our problems. We believe that God tells the truth. Faith is living like God tells the truth. And let's be honest, sometimes it's way easier to believe something than it is to live something. I'm an optimistic realist. I, I lead with optimism, and I back it up with realism. But have I actually invented a socially acceptable way to disguise pockets of unbelief in my own heart? Of course I believe that God could do that. That's called mental assent. But then I continue acting like he's, he's not truly right here beside me. Jesus was standing beside the disciples, and they did not believe there was a reasonable solution to their problem. The truth is, God is not confined to our logic. Repeat these words out loud after me. With Jesus. An impossible situation is an opportunity. Jesus lives and moves in the impossible every day because he's a big God. Doing impossible things is his sweet spot. He was born a, a virgin birth, impossible, rose from the dead, impossible, walked on the water, impossible. What are you facing right now that seems impossible? Starting over? A new career, finding a new companion, rebuilding your business, healing family relationships, seeing your kids change. Maybe it's someone you love coming to the faith. Here's a question for all of us to ask this week. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Maybe even discuss this with a family or a member or a friend. Here's the question. What have I decided is too big for God to do in my life. Maybe you've dreamed of it. You've longed for it, but it feels impossible. 
What have you decided is just too big to ask or too big to try? Jeremiah, in chapter 32, verse 17, he says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Number one, God is not confined by our logic. And then number two, God can turn a little into a lot. The disciples said this in Luke 9, verse 13. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Is that really true? No, it wasn't. They had five loaves, two fishes, and one Jesus. In John 6, he says this. He says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? One disciple looks at the needs of the crowd and he says, it's just way too big. Andrew looks at the size of the lunch and says, it's way too small. And if I were there, I'd be thinking, I'm hungry. Which person are you? Do we say this need is just way too big or my resources are way too small? Or do we say both? The need is just way too big and my resources are way too small. I'm I'm going to bed. Hand me another bowl of popcorn. I'm going to watch me some Hallmark, right? I don't know what you feel you lack. I don't know what has you stuck. I don't know what resources you feel are limiting you right now. But I do know there's something in your world right now that you're saying in your heart, if I just had this, or if I just had that, I could do this. So here is your question. What have I decided is too little for God to work with? What have I decided is too little for God to work with? What have you looked at uh, from a logical point of view and ignored Jesus' presence beside you? How many times do we say this phrase, I just don't have enough. Even the wealthy say, I just don't have enough in my growing portfolio, but if I just let it grow some more, I'll have more. You see, we're all tempted to become like the man who Jesus said saved up all of his riches in a barn, and that night he died. He could have put his resources to use and saw the blessing that they would bring to other people. Instead, he waited one day too long, and he never witnessed the blessings he could have given away. And worse yet, he died not having made peace with God in his heart. When someone says, I just don't have it right now, that's often code for, I don't want to. (laughs) What are we calling not enough? Have you heard someone say, you cannot outgive God? Have you experienced that in your own life? One of the most significant themes in the scripture is how Jesus turns a little into a lot. It's the teaching of multiplication throughout the scriptures. Give, and it'll be given to you pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In Luke chapter 13, it says, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted it in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. 
He's speaking to his disciples who mostly came from humble origins, no power, no authority, and very little resources. They had lived under the shadow and the, the power and the influence of Rome and all of its opulence. They were, they were following a person born to refugee parents in a humble cave called a stable. In ancient times, when the foundation had been laid for the restoration of the temple, the prophet said these words in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, Do not despise this small beginning. For the eyes of the Lord rejoice to see the work begin. God specializes in small beginnings. The kingdom of God is God's master plan to save humanity. And Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed being planted. Think about how great things usually come from small beginnings. Apple started in a garage. Google started in a garage. Microsoft started in a garage. Hewlett-Packard started in a garage. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you, spend more time in your garage and great things will happen. Add the power of God to that and nothing is impossible. Start with wherever you are and with whatever you have and watch what God does. Now, point number three, and this is where um, the exciting stuff happens. This is where many people stop. But there's a great reward for those who will continue. If you're watching this talk with someone else, turn to them and say, don't stop. And if you're watching this by yourself, say out loud, don't stop. Point number three, God does great things through weakness. Jesus came as a baby. When the disciples say to Jesus, all we have is five loaves and two fishes, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, he says this, bring them here to me, he said. That's always Jesus' response. Bring to me what you have. But I don't have much. But I don't have enough time. Bring to me what you have. But Jesus, we don't have a lot of resources left over after we pay the bills. He knows what you have. He's the one who gave it to you. This is a call to trust God with the small things which are right in front of you. It's the difference between living with a set of beliefs and living as if they're true. The greatest adventure I know is hearing God's voice and then having the courage to obey Him. Here's your last homework question for the week. What is Jesus asking me to say yes to? Ask someone you care about this question. What is Jesus asking me to say yes to? What is hidden in your heart that you've been afraid to speak out loud? There are always challenges to doing anything worthwhile. We get through those challenges by believing God is bigger. In the very next chapter, Luke 10, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and He sent them out two by two ahead of Him, to every town and place where he was about to go. You know, we started with the disciples at the beginning of chapter 9 being sent out with no resources. They come back, and Jesus uses the feeding of the 5,000 as an object lesson for how things work in the kingdom. He teaches them how even when you feel like you don't have enough, that I can multiply whatever you have. And when I put what I have, whether it's my, my time, my money, my talents, 
my loaves and fishes into Jesus' hand, he turns a little into a lot. What need do you see? What do you have in your hand or in your heart to do? Even if you feel insecure about it, even if you have doubts about it, even if it's so big you're afraid to talk about it, this is a moment to say yes to Jesus and to see what only God can do. A wealthy person is one that is learning to trust God with all of their resources. The first step in receiving those resources that Jesus has for you is receiving his gift of salvation that comes through him. And the second step is giving your life to him. Would you like to take those steps and begin to follow Jesus? And lastly, what is Jesus asking you to say yes to? I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you would like, you can make this your prayer as well. Lord Jesus, today, I want to receive the gift of salvation. I acknowledge that you went to the cross and died for all of my sins, past, present, and future. You were resurrected on the third day. You did the impossible, and only you can forgive me of all of my sins. And so I place my life and my trust into your hands. And I receive your gospel, your good news. And today, I begin to make a decision to give my life away back to you as I follow you. And Lord, I also want to pray today that what you've placed in my heart to do, that thing that I've been shying away from, that thing that I feel like I don't have the resources or capacity or qualifications to do, I'm going to say yes, Lord. I'm going to say yes to the things that you're calling me to do and to believe you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church Podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.